We've talked about America being polarized in general, but today we're talking about a little bit different kind of polarization. I'm Justin Sharp, and you're listening to The Sharp Side of the World. All right, welcome to episode five of the podcast. So far, I think we've made some pretty good progress from episode one in terms of quality and substance. So if you agree with me, go ahead and share this podcast everywhere. Let's get some more listens and downloads. And I'm also trying to work it out so I can get onto Spotify and Google Podcasts and some other platforms. But we're having a little bit of difficulty with the RSS feed on Podbean, so I'll keep you updated on that. So now let's dive right into today's topic, and that is rural-urban divide. This is a pretty big problem that kind of ties into the whole political polarization thing and the ag issues I've been talking about. And it's not just a geographic problem, it's a social problem that does have some economic ramifications too. Basically, all rural-urban divide is is a huge difference culturally and socially between those who live in cities and those who do not live in cities but live on the countryside, like yours truly. It doesn't seem like a problem um, that would have a huge foreseeable threat in the near future, but it is one that has some other problems for other reasons, which I'm about to discuss. So as usual, when I talk about these kinds of issues that affect rural Americans, I want to talk about how they have affected me personally and the details of what those effects have done to me uh, as I've grown up. So the issue has some pretty important effects on me as I have grown up and aged, and there are also some pretty funny stories to tell about it, so I'll get straight into that. So the first major effect rural-urban divide has had on me was actually when I was pretty young. I'd say I was about 10, and I started venturing out into some Bible camps around the state um, with a few of my friends. And there happened to be kids from other places like Portland and Eugene, which are pretty big areas in these camps. So when we got there, there was a pretty immediately noticeable difference between us and them. My friends and I were dressed in looser-fitting jeans and western shirts even at that age, and we talked like we were slightly less educated even though we weren't. And in general, uh, we were just a little more uncultured because we hadn't been exposed to the world outside of North Lake County much. The kids from the urban areas, on the other hand, wore shirts, uh, wore shorts or tight-fitting jeans and t-shirts, talked like people from the city, more cultured, and in general, they were just products of their environment more than us. So a few days into the camp, which I believe was Fur Point Bible Camp, I think, which is just outside of Glendale, Oregon, we started to have a little bit of issues. When we tried to get along with these other kids, they oftentimes would kind of look at us funny just because of the way we did things. And they eventually started to throw around the words like redneck and hillbilly, which kind of angered us, but we did shrug it off. And we started throwing around the phrase city kid. Um, It wasn't just a true statement because, I mean, we were kids. But it uh, did carry a little bit of derogatory meaning behind it. So now when I look back at that, I can actually see the same thing going on now. Um, with adults, which is kind of funny, even though it is a little mature and definitely not as conflicting. And for example, in our FFA district, there are chapters from Bend and Redmond, which are pretty large areas for Central Oregon. And the kids from those chapters are definitely not from the same culture upbringing than members of North Lake. Since we have grown older, we don't really have a conflict, like I said, but there's still a sense of those who are farm kids and those who are Bend kids in FFA. You can see this in the results from the soils contest in comparison with the results from the public speaking contest. Generally, people from rural areas in our uh, district, like Sherman County or Dufer and us, we tend to do better in hands-on things like soils and shop skills, where schools like Bend and Redmond tend to do better in things like uh, public speaking and Parley Pro and things of that nature. In adults, I can even see it in my own father and people I work with on my grandparents' farm. Once again, they don't really have a direct conflict with people from more populated areas, but you can still tell in the tone of their voice that there's a little bit of contempt for things that come out of cities, 
in the way that city residents act in general. Occasionally, I catch an eye roll when they see something on social media or the news about an event in Bend, Oregon, and I have yet to see a time when my dad or friend doesn't roll at, uh, roll their eyes and laugh at this ad on the radio for BackyardBend.com, where people post what they've been doing outdoors in Central Oregon and locally. Uh, they post the stuff online to show everybody else, and I think this is perfectly coined in the Urban Dictionary ad, for, or the Urban Dictionary definition for Bend, Oregon, that reads, quote, Bend, a shallow, jobless, culturally bereft town in the middle of Oregon that likes to think of itself as otherwise. Most of its citizens are obsessed with the personal images associated with organic, active, outdoors, and especially local, which is ironic because most of them aren't from around here. In truth, most Bendites are a bunch of delusional, isolationist yuppies who have no concept of themselves or the real world, thanks to them, the veneer of BS in which they surround themselves." End quote. So that's pretty funny stuff. And I've talked to friends from Bend and they actually do think it's funny too. And even a little true in some cases, but it's still a point of tension nonetheless. And this kind of coins that. So speaking of the urban dictionary and the internet, uh, the internet is one of the biggest points of rural urban divide in America today. In my life, this is one of the biggest pains in the rears that I have to deal with on a daily basis living here. Um, but even if I travel to Lapine, which is just 45 minutes away, the issue nearly vanishes completely. There is a large divide in the internet, not only in speeds for rural and urban areas, but also in availability in general. Out here in North Lake County, there are two options for internet service. Two options, that's pretty few. And depending on the day, either of them may be unable to do simple things like stream HD video. And sometimes they're even basically unusable for, I don't know the reasons, but they just are. I believe in my life and the highest speed I've ever seen at my house was 6 megabits per second blazing fast where in Ben they have 100 megabits per second plus on the low end and in Redmond they even did a test of a thousand megabits per second there for a while um, according to Pew Research rural Americans are still 12 percent more likely to have a or sorry 12 percent more likely to not have a broadband connection in their homes compared to Americans in general and 24 percent of rural adults on top of that say it would be hard to get a high-speed internet compared to 13 percent of rural of urban adults so pretty big divide there statistically on the wireless cell phone communication side of the internet, the issue is a little bit the same, um, but I will say in my case, I believe that every major carrier is out here except I think T-Mobile and Sprint, and even them, they might be out here a little bit. So depending on where I go, even just around like my house, which is probably like an acre of land is which is like a, the amount of distance I travel around my house where I'm on my phone. And at the high end, I can get three bars of LTE, which is kind of fast. And at the low end, I can have one bar of LT of 1X, which is basically no service. Um, one bar of 1X being unusable. But none of it is even close to as fast as Bender applying. Like even if I was in Bend in an area that for some reason had three bars of LTE, I bet it would be three to four times faster than the speed I get when I'm at my house with that service. So the internet is definitely one of the biggest dividers in the economy for rural places too. The biggest way that this is a thing is through delivery times with things like Amazon, which is more of a ge geographic factor than anything. Um, for me, in the middle of nowhere, I usually have to wait one to two business weeks uh, or more for packages, and to pay for faster shipping option can cost upwards of 10 to $15 on average, which is pretty expensive if you think about it. Uh, tracking numbers that Amazon and UPS and places like that give you also aren't always reliable for checking where a package is. In fact, the system I'm using to record this uh, podcast ended up a whole week late, and the tracking number said that the packages had been delivered for three days by the time it showed up. 
So I will say that systems have gotten better over time as companies like UPS and FedEx and USPS get better and more sophisticated. But these long waits can cause some problems. Um, when farmers are out of work for a few days in the summer and they don't have that time in their job, but when they're out of work because they're waiting on a part for equipment, it really does hurt them. In general, rural areas aren't granted many of the luxuries that cities tend to get um, when it comes to internet ordering and shipping systems. The internet uh, is also full of social divide for rural and urban areas. Uh, in the rising age of TikTok, which for younger listeners you may get what I'm about to say, there's definitely a whole class of people on the social media platform who are into more of the rural redneck kind of things. Compared to the trends that come out of cities like dance videos, you may see more like pickup videos or farming stuff on TikTok about uh, rural areas, but you don't see a lot of that kind of stuff from urban areas, which makes a lot of sense. And you can see it pretty clearly all over social media for me, just because TikTok is the one that's blowing up. That's where I see it the most. Um, I believe that this actually comes from a lack of things to do for fun in rural areas compared to cities. When I described North Lake County to people who have never heard of it or been to it, I described it this way to a lot of people in Washington, D.C. last summer from other states. I say it's a tiny community who eats at the same three restaurants every time they go out and doesn't have a lot of things to do for fun except drive around on the same roads. And we don't have theaters or skate parks, obviously, or trampoline parks or anything like that. So I think we have a lot of less interesting things to share with the world in terms of social media trends, and I think that explains it. So once again, this does impact the economy, actually, not the trend part, but the like, the things to do part. It impacts the economy a little bit because people in rural communities aren't going to attract businesses that bring new things to do. With a small population, it doesn't pay off for, say, just any recreational business in general to move to Christmas Valley and put in a rec center or a basketball court or anything like that and expect to make a profit off of it and attract crowds. This applies to even like local businesses like restaurants that are a few and far between here but still tend to run a pretty thin profit margin due to not many customers. I think in Fort Rock, which is where I'm from, there's one restaurant that has actually, I think it's flipped owners four times in the last decade just because they're trying to get something new, trying to get it going. Um, where I live, besides agriculture, which is definitely the biggest economic driver, there's a little bit of, I would call it quasi-tourism that supports some local businesses, but other than that, there's not much else, which is pretty explainable for all that. In general, rural economies where there is an industry to support uh, people, they, the economies tend to be pretty weak, once again, creating another point of divide. They tend to have population declines due to urbanization, which means less business to employ others, meaning a decline in income, and the chain falls more and more until you get to more people in poverty. When pressures are applied to rural economies, they really tend to run into trouble faster than city economies. I talked about this in the last episode with things like regulations on agriculture and urban citizens being uneducating, putting pressure on agriculture when they don't know what they're talking about, and it just causes problems for rural Americans. Politically, rural-urban divide is actually a huge deal right now, especially in the electoral college debate, which is actually, I would say, one of the more um, telling debates of how divided the country is. So the New York Times has a whole piece on this titled, How the Rural-Urban Divide Became America's Political Fault Line. The article presents a pretty, I will say it's a pretty heavily left-leaning case for uh, how and why Democrats are getting pushed out of office on national and state levels, and they do blame the electoral college and rural-urban divide. So here's a little bit of excerpt from this uh, beginning here. But rural-urban polarization has become particularly acute in America, particularly entrenched, particularly hostile, particularly lopsided in its consequences. 
urban voters, and the party that has, be, uh, that has come to represent them now routinely lose elections and power even when they win more votes. Democrats have blamed the Senate, the Electoral College, and gerrymandering for their disadvantage. But the problem runs deeper, according to Jonathan Roden, a Stanford political scientist. He says the American form of government is uniquely structured to ex- exacerbate the urban-rural divide and to translate it into enduring bias against the Democratic voters clustered at the left of the accompanying chart. So personally, I will say I believe that this is a bit of a good thing that there is a system that does this. Um, it doesn't sound good because, I mean, obviously I'm conservative and all that, like I've said before. Um, and while I may be biased, I think that the idea of balancing power between cities and non-cities cities is a good thing because they're two very differently ran areas that don't need one cramming down policy on the other. It doesn't seem democratic to be uh, possible for one party to lose popular vote and gain power, but in the end, it may be the safe method uh, for both parties, depending on the election cycle and how things are going. For example, you don't want rural Americans making the laws where they're making unsafe laws, quite frankly, because they don't know what they're doing on cities, saying that you can go 60 miles an hour down the street. You just don't want that. It's the same thing as you don't want urban areas telling rural people that you can only have 100 cows because of the environment. It's just not a good system to have. So now I want to take a moment before we go ahead and finish the podcast uh, to point out an incident of urban people not knowing what they're talking about with rural people. So AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the representative from the densely populated state of New York, the brightest mind of our generation, according to the media, and the fresh new face of the Democratic Party. An open socialist who somehow has an economics degree but still doesn't understand how the, our economy actually works and struggles to understand the concept of free markets. The lady who wants to go zero emissions by 2030 and somehow power the country on solar and wind while eliminating nuclear. That lady. She went ahead and said this about rural Americans. I think she was talking in Alabama. The system that allows billionaires to exist when there are parts of Alabama where, where people are still getting ringworm because they don't have access to public health is wrong. Yeah, so she later claimed that she meant to say hookworm, which if she did, that would make a lot more sense. But ringworm? I think the whole hookworm thing was definitely a good move by the staff to kind of clear up this mistake before she really got slammed. But... Ringworm, that's not something that happens because of lack of public health. Ringworm is something that people get when they're around livestock like cows or sheep. Or even if cats, their cats have it in their house, then they might get it. Um, if you've ever had athlete's foot or jock itch, then you've had a form of the same fungus that is ringworm, just on a different place in your body, so it's called something different. Wrestlers get ringworm from mats because, you know, you have a lot of bodies going over them. I've even had ringworm from my FFA steers before, but that's not because I don't have access to public health. It's just because it's a fungus that spreads if you uh, get it on you and then it just tends to grow. So, I mean, come on. This lady doesn't know anything about rural America except maybe what she's read in a book, uh, just like most of the others from L.A. and New York. But they do want to regulate rural America out the wazoo, so that's something to be happy about if you live in a place that isn't a city. So, all right, as I mentioned before, get ready for another really, really, really interesting ad pitch. Rural economies are pretty fragile, and I live in a rural economy, so let's beef up the entertainment industry here in the big town of Fort Rock, Oregon by sponsoring the show. The Sharp Side of the World is run in my bedroom with about $60 of recording equipment and some DIY learning about podcasting, so let's go ahead and fix that and make us both a little bit of extra cash. 
If you want to do this at, uh, by advertising on the podcast, go ahead and contact me at nitsuj2203 at gmail.com or on social media at Justin Sharp on Facebook and Razor with an O underscore Sharp 2203 on Instagram and Twitter. Also, go ahead and share this podcast all over the web and let's get some more listens and downloads going. Along with this podcast, go ahead and check out my other podcast that I'm on called Cowboy Talk with a few of my friends uh, and myself where we discuss ag issues, ag news, uh, my shop teachers on there, my FFA advisor, and we have some great interviews with interesting people in the career tech education community and the FFA community. As always, thanks for listening to The Sharp Side of the World. Find the podcast on iTunes and Podbean along with the U- the YouTube channel. Go ahead and search my name, Justin Sharp, on YouTube, and you can listen to the video version of every episode. The logo will be just the go- the general podcast logo, um, the gray square with the picture of the capital and the icons. So you're listening to The Sharp Side of the World with me, Justin Sharp. I'll talk to you next week.